Welcome to Beer Me. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. Every episode, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world. From brewers, importers, educators, this will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am very excited to welcome Jason Bell. Uh, He's the founder of Living the Dream Brewing Company in Littleton, Colorado. Um, I'm catching him right at the cusp of uh, kicking off their nine-year anniversary celebration. Um, And it is an incredible brewery uh, that is in a really stunning part of Colorado. So I'm very excited uh, to talk to Jason. Jason, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, congratulations on, um, you know, heading into a nine-year anniversary for your brewery. That's huge. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, some days it feels like just yesterday we opened. Some days it feels a little longer, Um, but no, it's, it's been quite a ride. I mean, through COVID and through everything and the ups and downs of the industry, it's been, uh, it's kind of hard to believe we've been doing this nine years. No, that's absolutely amazing. So before we dive into any of those ups and downs, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your background um, and how you kind of got into brewing and how you started to build this uh, very successful brewery. Sure. Um, I grew up in the Midwest uh, in Iowa Mm -hmm. and um, was always kind of through education, like math and science. And I've got members of my family. We're all engineers. My brother and my father thought that's what I really should do. Uh, Started in it. Can't say I was super enamored with it, but kind of thought, well, you know, it's, it's a good living. It's, it's what, you know, it's the responsible thing. And over time, my other passion at the time was uh, food, flavors, cooking, uh, and developed myself on my own learning, taught myself how to cook, uh, really got into it. And kind of over time in school, actually was in college, kind of went, I should go do what I want to do. And so I left college with a year and a half left much to my parents' chagrin, (laughs) um, and worked in a hotel apprenticing under a a chef there and kind of got my way through that and then reached a point of either going to work in a restaurant kitchens and working my way up or what I decided on was the university had enough of my money that I went back to school and finished a degree in, in restaurant management and cooked for about seven or eight years in fine dining, but then also went into kind of higher end chains because I thought eventually my whole thought was I'm going to open my own restaurant Mm -hmm. and I need to learn the business side of it. And I found I really like the business side of it. But uh, what I also found is the more I moved up, the less and less I actually cooked and worked with food. Um, So then I transitioned out to, front of house management, again, to thinking, let's learn all aspects we can. Yeah. 
at the same time, I kind of started developing a passion for not just food, but wine and spirits and, and beer. And I'm old enough that this was really pre big craft beer times. Um, you know, Goose Island was around. Um, this was the time when Blue Moon like came on the scene to date myself a little bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, started working more in that direction. And then as I got older, got married, um, the hours of the restaurant management life just got really tiring. Mm -hmm. um, now I kind of miss those shorter days. Uh, <laughs> but um went into you know this at this time I'm living in Chicago and I went to work for um one of the largest retailers in the country there in wine and spirits uh and that's where I started really coming on with craft beer and learning it um I was running a, a store in the Chicago area when New Belgium first sent um fat tire east of the Mississippi and it was like for three months, the biggest thing we had in our store, we sold more of it than anything else. And that was only single 22 ounce bottles. That's all they shipped. But that was a huge deal. And that's when I started to really hone in on, on craft breweries and, and realize, hey, that's kind of cool. Um, at the same time, my, I was working a ton. My wife works a ton. She's actually in the wine industry. So, um, you know, we've both kind of grown up professionally around um, alcohol, basically. Um, she said, get a hobby. <laughs> all I was doing was working. Um, so I started homebrewing and cause it took my love of cooking and flavors and let me, I also, when I wasn't doing engineering, I enjoy working with my hands. I enjoy building things so that those things just all kind of meshed. Um, and it obviously took hold a little more than she expected. Um, but built a couple homebrew setups and started brewing and figured out pretty fast at, um, that this was something I wanted to do. I've always wanted my own business and um, quickly changed, you know, the homebrewer mindset typically is, yeah, put a little of this in, put a little of that in. I got real focused on uh, styles and the process and uh, kind of developed it from there. And then we were still living in Chicago and we decided on Colorado because we just wanted to live here. Mm -hmm. um, so we moved out here and I spent about a year full time developing a business plan and that stuff. And then we found investors and opened the doors in 2014. And here we are. Yeah. I mean, I feel like just, just from somebody who has fostered a lot of different openings, both in the restaurant and hotel world, um, you skipped a few steps there on, you know, <laughs> creating and then opening the doors. Um, but no, I mean, this is a this is a, a really exciting journey you've been on. Um, and I feel like, you know, a little bit before the episode, we were talking about this, where um, a lot of times when you're looking at a website for a brewery and you see that little blurb, right, our story, and a lot of times, you know, you mm. kind of read it like, oh, well, I was a successful lawyer and then bum, 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 I'm a brewer now. Um, yeah. And, you know, it kind of like breezes over anytime you read a, an article, you know, it's like architect turned brewer and there's so many steps in between and there's such a journey usually. Um, 
you know, unless somebody just has a comical amount of money to throw around. Uh, (laughs) Which, you know, typically those breweries don't last that long just because they're not as, you know, you've got to really want it. It is, it's not a way you're going to get rich. It's not a way you're going to, you know, retire in five years. Um, You know, it's usually those people are backing someone else to do it. Yeah. No, I, I, it's, I feel like the the brewery journey is is a similar one to, you know, a restaurant where you hear so many stories of somebody, you know, opening a restaurant. It's like, Oh, I'm a good home cook. I should, I have, I have a lot of money. So right. I should, you know, open a restaurant. It's like, Oh, I'm a decent home brewer. Or, oh, I, I'm a big beer fan and I have a lot of money. So let's open a brewery. And I feel like there's a lot of, uh, right. There's a lot of hardships because, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, a brewery is a, a very unforgiving business. Very much, very much, but also very rewarding and yeah. not, not necessarily in money, but, <laughs> you know, when you see a t- tap room full of people and who are there drinking because they like what you produce and like the atmosphere you provide and, and the experience or even now as we've moved more and more into distribution, you know, um, people sending us where they're having our beer on the mountaintop or, or whatever, you know, those are, those are kind of immeasurable on on how they make you feel and, and, and the reward that is, um, you know, and that's something that you, you don't really think about before you open, you know, you don't, you're all about, you know, when you open a brewery, you know, our build out was about six months and, you know, you were just hemorrhaging cash, nothing coming in. You're working, you know, 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. every day, just especially us because we did it almost all ourselves. Um, you know, we didn't just say, hey, contractor, build us a brewery and hand us the keys, um, you know, and then all of a sudden you're open. And it's like, oh, can you rest now? Oh, God, no. You know, it is just, (laughs) but it's just such a a bit of a rush that you just, you have this whole new set of, you know, challenges and and rewards that you just keep going and you kind of never stop, really. So I'm curious then, you know, we have spent a lot of time on this show um, especially recently talking about home brewing and the biggest the biggest thing that we stress is that home brewing isn't intimidating it's exciting it's fun it's welcoming just yep. in if you're excited right and I have talked to a lot of different people in home brewing clubs and one of one of the first things that a homebrew club I find loves to brag about is when like one of their homebrew people go pro, right? Oh, this person is yep. now the head brewer here. Or this person owns a brewery there. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how hard the journey is from going to homebrewer to brewery owner. And I know that's a lot. I know there's a lot of steps there, but <laughs> what were, what were, what was like a really big aha moment or big challenge that you didn't even think you would have to face that was, was a big, big hurdle for you in that process? I think for me, well, first, the the thing that helped me the most is, you know, people think it's the same. And and while the the theory and 
at its core level, the process is the same. You mm -hmm. know, it's such a different animal um, and a different scale. Um, but the fact that I knew one, once I decided this is what I wanted to do, instead of just going, well, I'll just be a really good home brewer and then it'll be easy. I was, I think because of my time in, in restaurants and, and the same thing, understanding the difference between, you know, cooking at home for your family or whatever, and then cooking for 500 people on a busy Saturday night and that structure and how different it is, even though again, in, in the theory and at its core, it's the same thing. You're still grilling a steak or whatever. So I understood there was going to be a major difference. So I just started really focusing on how the commercial process worked. You know, I want to know what's everything that's going to be different. And to the point where I rebuilt, I built a homebrew setup that was mimicking commercial, you know, we, oh. I tried to, in, in, you know, I wasn't, I, I, I stopped brewing on my stove, you know, probably three years before I moved into this, where I had a, a separate mash tun, a separate hot liquor tank and boil kettle and was, um, you know, fly sparging and, and laudering and doing, trying to mimic as much and understand it the most I could. Um, but even then, so that helped. Um, you know, just the sheer volume and knowing, I think one of the biggest things and like the advice I've given home brewers is there's going to be so much to think about. Don't overthink, don't chase numbers. Don't, you know, you're looking and chase consistency, chase doing it the same way every time. Um, because that's, what's going to be the difference. You know, especially now we're sending beer throughout the whole state. You know, once that beer goes out my door, I have no control over it. That's a scary, but B, you better be consistent. And so that's kind of what we've always worked towards is not just the quality, but being repeatable and doing it the same way. Not just like, oh, this time I'll do a little of this or I'll do that. And, um, you know, I think that's the big part of it. And the transition is learning what matters and or prioritizing what matters in the brewing process. Um, because it's when you have a problem with a batch or whatever, it is so easy to go down a rabbit hole. And all of a sudden you're doing 50 things that you can't repeat. You know, problem solving is probably one of the biggest challenges because, you know, you bring five gallons at home and the batch craps out on you, mm -hmm. you dump it, you start over. Yeah. Now it's your livelihood. Now you've got people here wanting it, expecting it, you know, then it evolves into people want it and they want it to be the same as the last time they had it. You know, they want it to yeah. be the go-to that they're used to. And boy, they'll tell you in a hurry if it's not. Um, I think, I think that's, huge i think also is throw your ego out the door meaning don't act like you or don't in your head act like i know better they don't know what they're talking about because at the end of the day the customer pays your bills the customer buys your beer whether you think they're right or wrong they're right and you have to you have to be able to accept that you have to be able to, to 
you know, I want my beer to be this. I want to, you know, maybe my favorite beer is a dry hopped English Kolsch, which makes no sense. Well, no one's going to buy it. So you better, you better make beers that your customers want. Um, and to me, it's finding that balance of, you know, I have, I have certain philosophies and thoughts about how we make beer, but then tying that in with what the customer will buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then also, um, the business side of it comes in because now you've got to pay for everything. So you can't make every IPA with 65 pounds of Citra and, you know, mosaic and all the sexy hops right now, you can't always get them. And if you can, you can't afford them. Um, you know, so you have to start, you have to start thinking business first, Yeah. but everything else right there, you know, as a home brewer, there is no business side. There's no finance side other than, okay, I've blown way too much money on my home brewing stuff. You know, <laughs> it's a hobby, but when it becomes a business, you know, and probably the, if I had to say the one thing that changes and changes your thinking is, and we have 15 employees, mm-hmm. I've got, we got 15 people relying on what we do. So their livelihood is based on the decisions you know, we make. And so that weighs, that's, that matters a ton, especially now, you know, we're fortunate to have an absolutely fantastic team, but if you don't have staff, you're in real trouble. So if you've got good staff, you better make sure you're taking care of them because they, they, you know, they make the money. Mostly I write anymore. Mostly I write checks. That's what I do. I pay for things, you know, (laughs) at this point, but you have to have people that you can trust and they, but by the same token, they better be able to trust you. Yeah. What was a, you know, maybe in the beginning, what was something that like maybe your little homebrew heart desperately wanted to do, but the business trends, customer needs kind of shut oh, down. That's, yeah, that's easy. Our, our IPA when we opened was called empty trophy case and it was uh, an English IPA with American hops. I used, English grain, English yeast, and it wasn't the direction, you know, that was back in a time when you could still do, we didn't, you know, hazies weren't a thing yet. The, the big juicy IPA style wasn't there yet, but we started trending that way. And we, we did that for a, the first few years, but it was just not the style. Um, in fact, we were doing all of our like American styles and we did a a fair amount of English styles um, with that English, with an English yeast and the market just went away from it. So like, we don't, we do occasionally English beers, Mm -hmm. but, and, and my wife is from London. So I have a affinity. I really like, you know, cascales and that kind of stuff. And, um, we had plans to do, you know, beer engines and that kind of, and, and real ales and the market just said, no, you know, there's just not the market for them. Um, So it would have been a more of a passion project, but again, when you bring the business side into it, those don't tend to pay the bills, you know? No, I have a, I have a deep, deep love for, for cask ale and um, 
it doesn't it doesn't move it doesn't no. it doesn't sell I, I worked in a place for many years and we had five cask engines but you know it was hard to move those and what sold was two-hearted and schlafly Gold, mm-hmm. which is you know two of my favorite beers but i was yep. i was always bummed to not see the see cask move as well <laughs> yeah and even belgian anymore is a harder sell um yeah people i mean I, that's that's the the problem with with belgian nail is i mean you've got those super funky yeast notes and then you're starting you're starting at like six percent and going right. up from there and everybody wants sessionable everyone wants low and alcohol low or no that's it it tends to like i know when we opened pretty much every beer was at least six and a half and higher mm-hmm. and yeah a much bigger portion of our portfolio now is like four and a half to five and a half um including our best sellers uh but I do think the the kind of the, the the sweet spot has lowered, but there's still actually overall it's lowered because now big you know when we open big beers might be twelve and a half thirteen percent now they're eight nine and ten you know everything has just dropped a little bit and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing you know there was a time when it was you know you got Brewdog and those guys trying to put out 40% beers mm-hmm. just to see if they could do it. Just like you had IPAs with, you know, 800 IBUs or whatever, which who care at this, you know, you can't taste over, what is it? 105 or something, but you know, it was always to see who could be the most extreme and then everything got expensive. And now it's, you know, doing more with less kind of concept, which I think makes us better brewers, to be honest. You know, I would like to see a continued, sorry, move to, I think we're starting to see it, but I think you could say that the last 10 years, um, I'm not a fan of extreme, like melted ice cream and putting all this, you know, cake and all this stuff into beers. I, I still have a, we, that's just something we've never gotten into. We'll get a little creative, but again, that comes from my culinary background that we think I want to think out the flavors we use and do they work together? And is there some reason to do it? And it needs to start as a traditional style. And I'm hoping we continue that move back to the finesse of brewing and making quality styles instead of just weird. <laughs> no. And, and that goes along with what I was just about to say was, you know, when you focus in on a style that has, you know, like you said, less with more or more with less, it's, there's less to hide behind. hundred percent. You really, you really have to make a, a perfect product. And then, I mean, our last episode was just about corn lagers and, you know, if you're making a, a solid lager there, there's not much to hide behind on that. Right. Yeah. And our best selling beer is, it's called powder run and it's a cream ale that we, we, we do add vanilla to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I established from the get go and we still t- stick to it that we only use the real flavors. Um, if we have a fruit beer, there's fruit, there's not some, you know, processed chemically driven 
flavor extract. The only extract we do use is vanilla, but it's a natural because actually it's more consistent. And again, drawing on my culinary world, that's kind of considered a real flavor in cooking as yeah. opposed to, you know, <clears throat> but it's uh, unfortunately costly to use the real stuff all the time. Yeah. And even then, sometimes we have found that the consumer sometimes is used to the artificial flavor. Um, but we've, we've not bent on that and I don't plan to, you know, if, and, and that's just kind of my thing. That's where I kind of, that's my, my Alamo that I won't go past that, you know, because it just, it matters, you know, it really does to me. Yeah. And I mean, this brings back to the point you made on consistency and consistency is something we have talked about on the show a lot as far as how challenging it is, especially in the brewing world. You know, I know a lot of the larger uh, brewing companies, you know, it's something I marvel at the fact that, you know, Bud Light is going to taste the same no matter where you go. And it's brewed all over the place, you know, because the consumption is just so high. There's no way to get around that. And to have such a consistent product, so many variables is at the end of the day, very impressive. Say what you will about, you know, beer. Yeah. And it's, you know, in the food world, we used to say the same thing about McDonald's. Yeah. You know, is the food good? No. But if you want a McDonald's cheeseburger, you get one in Alaska, Hawaii, or New York City, it's going to be the same thing. Yeah. And that's that's impressive. Um, and Budweiser, you know, or Coors or whoever is the same way. And it's hard as a, a small brewery growing, you know, one of the ways you do that is through automation and, you know, automated brew houses and that kind of stuff. And, you know, we are still we do not have an automated brew house. We, we are still hand stirring everything. And which the more human element, the more chance of inconsistency, unfortunately. So we have to kind of work extra hard, you know, and, and as, as a small brewery trying to, to get there, it's, it's one of those focuses. I think you have to really start, has to start entering the equation because, um, you know, a lot of us didn't, didn't or don't have the the resources to to buy a two hundred thousand dollar automated brew house. You know we're on a direct fire, hand stirred. You know, shoveling out the grain ourselves kind of thing. And and so you, you know, the less variables you have to deal with, the better. But boy, there's a lot of them. Yeah, for sure. And you know, you mentioned that you're distributed. You're part of the Colorado Crafts portfolio. Correct. I mean, that's a, that's an added pressure there where, like you said, you're sending your beer out. And, you know, again, this is something we've talked about with the importance of beer service and making sure that beer is transported, you know, well and served at the right temperature in the right glass, a clean glass, the lines are clean. I mean, there's so many variables. Once you put that beer on that truck that you have no control over that it's right. definitely a, a daunting process. Yeah, we made the move to a distributor just over a year ago, and mm-hmm. it's it is a daunting process. And you better do your homework. You know, know they're going to take care of the brand. Talk to other breweries that are are with them, and and are you know are they representing you well? Not just from the 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 selling, and are they going to you know are they going to care? Are they going to really want to get behind your product? But from the you know 
the logistics of it. Are they going to keep it cold? Are they going to store it well? Do they care about dates? Do they care about making sure your product is, uh, are they going to fight for you in the, in liquor stores on the shelves? Are they going to, you know, be all over bars and restaurants? Cause it's, that's a long, hard slog to get into those places. You know, a liquor store has a decent liquor store may have, you know, 200 beers in their cooler. So there's kind of always room, somebody they can slide or whatever. But when a, when a bar or restaurant may have four, six or eight tap handles and they just got a new keg and it may take them three months, well, you got to time it to exactly when that buyer wants to make a change. And um, that's what we found when we were self-distributing, which we did for a number of years. You know, we didn't have the resources. We had two guys who I still have out helping sell. Um, you know, they just couldn't be in those places that often. So that was kind of one of the, the reasons we kind of finally decided it's time, yeah. and, you know, and we had to be ready from a production standpoint as well to not only be able to make enough beer, but, you know, when you go to a distributor, you're handing over sometimes up to, you know, 25% to 35% of your, of the margin or of the, of the revenue. So you've got to be efficient too. And that again is where the business side walks in to the whole process. And you better understand your costs. You better understand how to control those. And, um, you know, there's just so many pieces to it. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, so we're coming close to the end of our time here, but I wanted to see if there's anything kind of new and exciting on the horizon for you all. I mean, nine years is a huge feat. Um, so if there's, you know, something you're excited about moving towards or working towards in the future. Well, like you said, tomorrow literally kicks off our anniversary weekend. Um, we've got a number of beer releases and, and, uh, events going on here at at the brewery in Littleton. Um, uh, that's always our biggest weekend of the year. Um, and it's really it's probably the hardest work weekend of the year because there's so much going into it. And then it's, but it's also, like I was saying before, the most gratifying because so many people come out and um, you know, it's, it's kind of their way of saying, Hey, thanks for being here. And um, we, you know, it's, it's just a neat time. And then of course, after that, you know, we're we're pouring at GABF again, which we've done every year since we opened that we could, um, you know, and, and we're watching that whole thing transition. It's, it's contracting a bit and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was so big and so over the top. Um, you know, when, when you can only try about three or 4% of what's there, you know, it, it might be a, you, know, it's, you end up missing out on a lot, I think. Um, Pretzel necklaces but, only get you so far. Exactly. Uh, so that's coming up for us. Um, we're continuing to grow our distribution. We are contemplating looking at going into another state. Um, that's always a tough decision because you got to make sure you don't, you know, you can support it. Um, what that state is, we're not sure yet. Um, but we're, it's kind of on the horizon for us. Um, you know, we're, a lot of my time right now is spent figuring out our next moves. Uh, we're probably not too far away from some kind of growth move, hopefully. Uh, although right now, you know, the industry's 
it's tougher right now than it has been. I think ever since we started, I'm seeing yeah. more brewery closings right now. Um, and more, you know, it's funny as competitive as the industry can be, it's even still more collaborative. And a lot of us as owners talk and, and, um, you know, we kind of get a feel for what's going on and what works. And, you know, if, if any of us needs help, the great thing is we all help each other out, but it's tough. I mean, it's a little harder right now. Um, people are just don't have as much money to spend. And, you know, while it's wonderful, they get to, you know, you were a place of fun and celebration and people go there to have a good time that's really not very high up on the list of must haves and needs, you know, in the budget. So when things are tough, this tends to be something that, that may get cut. And yeah. so you have to work hard. You know, we, we work hard to try to provide as much of a value experience as we can. Um, but we're just going to keep doing that and continue. And, you know, for us, for the next few years, it's going to be just, seeing seeing how we can grow and how we can move forward and and adapt because that's the biggest thing it's been over the last three or four years is just how well can you adapt and and uh, how fast can you do it no for sure and um i want to end on a quote from your website actually mm -hmm. this is the first thing you see and i i like that this is kind of your credo um Go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you have imagined by Henry David Thoreau. So listeners, if you do have the opportunity to check out Living the Dream Brewing Company in Littleton, Colorado, please do. If you're in the area, go celebrate. Nine years is a really big deal in an industry that is ever-changing. Jason, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insight. And homebrewers, I want to reiterate, this is not... A, uh, a jaded or an episode oh, no. to discourage you. I think um, it's it was it was a fantastic discussion on um, the challenges that you might face, but also the the reward and the satisfaction in putting something out into the world that is entirely yours, and the opportunity to make an impact in other people's lives and your community. So thank you so much, Jason. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, listeners, this has been another episode of Beer Me Radio. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to reach out at Beer Me Radio on Instagram. We are available anywhere you get podcasts. So please like, subscribe, give all the stars, and we will catch you next time. Cheers. <laughs>